Lord, you've taken that which was just awful and you've made it like yourself. Thank you, Jesus. And I know that you've done that in Rod, and I just pray right now for Rod, Lord, that as he opens your word, God, that there would be power there. Not in this man, but Lord, in you, the man, Jesus Christ, and your Holy Spirit speaking through Rod. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to um, talk about what I think is the most important thing for me, for you, for our families, for this church in 2012. And I know some of you are like, well, that's a little overly dramatic. Well, I think what we're going to talk about this morning is easily, easily the most important thing for all of us. And I told these guys I'd only be up here for 30 minutes. And I've I got a big idea that needs to come out in this little bit of time. But let's turn to Exodus 40. Right now, right now, how many of you know what's in Exodus 40? You don't have to tell me, but good. Let's go there. Couldn't believe this. The Lord led me to this text before I knew what was in the very first verse, which says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. I was like, whoa, okay. What day is that? That's New Year's. Okay, now go down to 17. So the tabernacle was set up the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, and then it just goes on the next several verses about all the things that he he puts together and how he puts this thing up. Going down to verse 30, it says, Moses placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar. He put water in it for washing. Moses and Aaron and the sons used to wash their hands and their feet. They're doing mikvah. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting as they approached the altar, as the Lord commanded Moses. So they set this thing up. In fact, verse 33, it says, Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar. He put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. So Moses finished the work. And then look at the next verse. This is all happening on New Year's Day. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses himself could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud that had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled that place. Let me just give just a little context here. We need to know where we are in God's story. The book of Genesis ends with Jacob and his 12 sons going down to live in Egypt. They're going to settle and live there for 400 years. They're going to become a great people, a great nation. But towards the end of these 400 years, the Pharaoh's going to forget Joseph. And because they've become so numerous as a people, because they've maintained their distinctiveness, Pharaoh is threatened. He turns them into slaves. He kills the firstborn sons that are born or all the sons. And so this is how the book of Exodus begins. In fact, the word Exodus means to take out. 
This is what God does in the book of Exodus. He takes them out. In fact, there's those great verses in Exodus 6 verse 6. Where God says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will take you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will set you free from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. That's what God does. He takes them out. But this taking out doesn't stop there. Because the next verse, it says, I will take you as my own. As my people. In fact, that word for take there is the very word for what a husband does when he takes for himself a wife. God doesn't just take us out. He takes us in to himself. That's why following this dramatic taking out, God puts on this grand wedding ceremony in the desert. He takes Israel, his people, to be his bride. Then, the next 13 chapters to finish off Exodus are what? Well, I've always, I'll I'll just be honest, I've always thought these chapters are some of the most boring chapters in the Bible. Because for 13 chapters, God lays out these instructions in such detail to build this tent, this tabernacle. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. That's the equivalent of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. 13 to 16 chapters of precious space in God's word are devoted to this. In fact, God only devotes two chapters to the creation of the world, yet he devotes almost 16 chapters to the creation of the tabernacle. Why? Well, this goes back to seven times God says to Pharaoh when he's taking his people out, he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Why? So they can worship me. God never just takes us out. Of an addiction. He never just sets us free from ourself. He never just heals us from our pride. He never just lifts us up out of the pit as an end to itself. He always takes us out so he can take us in to himself. So we can worship him. So that we can know him. I mean, this is the reason we're here, isn't it? Do you know today why you're here? Not in this gym. Do you know why you exist? Do you know right now why God made you? Can you answer that question? See, the reason why God made us, the reason why we are here, is so that we could walk with him, so we could know him, so we could enjoy him. In fact, I think maybe one of the verses that best describes all of this is in Genesis 3, verse 8, where it says, the man and his wife, that referring to Adam and Eve, 
when they heard the sound of the Lord of God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. In fact, where it says Adam and Eve heard the sound, that word for sound there is the Hebrew word kol. Kol is, is the word for voice. They didn't just hear the sound, they heard the voice. They heard God's voice. Has God walked with them? He spoke to them. They heard him. They heard his voice. And then it says that they did this in the cool of the day. The word for cool in Hebrew is the word ruach. Which is the word for wind, spirit. Do you understand this is why you were made? To know him. To walk with him. To enjoy him. To have his spirit blowing on, on you. Breathing it. Life. Do you hear his voice? Do you know his face? Do you walk with him? In fact, remember that word, Hebrew word, yada? It's from which, you know, we get this expression, yada, 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 yada. I know, I know, I know, I know. But yada, of course, is that special kind of, of, of knowledge. It comes from the word yad, which means hand. It's how I know things through my hands, through my touch, through my own personal experience of that thing. We've been made to know him. Yada him. Now the tragedy of the garden is that Adam and Eve decided that they could do life better without God and they wanted to do life their way. So Genesis 3 ends with this tragic verse. After God drove the man out, he placed on the east side, and that's important because that's the entrance, the east side of the Garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. In other words, they lost God. They were kicked out of the garden. They lost the tree, which represents God's manifest presence among them and in them and with them. And therefore, the world fell into ruin, into chaos. More importantly, Adam and Eve fell into chaos. Now we come to these boring chapters in the Bible. Starting with Exodus 25. Thank you for bearing with me on this long introduction, but we needed it. We needed to get some pieces on the table. Exodus 25, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. Okay, they're to bring an offering. They're to collect everything, the best that they have. Verse 8, this is what I want them to do with it. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. In other words, God's saying to the people, build me. A sanctuary. Now to us, that might not be a big deal. 
Because what comes to my mind is, okay, a room with stained glass windows where I wasn't allowed to run when I was a really young kid. And I know that's what a lot of you think of when you think sanctuary. But the most basic meaning of the word sanctuary, sanctuary is the place where we walk with the holy. It's the Garden of Eden where we walk with God in the cool of the day. Where we hear his voice. We experience his face. In fact, uh, I, I, I like how God now is, is, is now putting this sanctuary again in the world. What was lost in Eden, God is now putting back. And, and God says in verse 9 that the sanctuary will be a tabernacle. That's in verse 9. The word for tabernacle in Hebrew is the Hebrew word mishkan. In fact, 60 times Mishkan is going to be used in these chapters. It comes from the root word Shekan, which is right there in verse 8. It means to dwell. It's also the word from which we get the word Shekinah. The Shekinah glory of God. It's, It's something that we often talk about. The Shekinah glory of God, listen, is more than just the presence of God, but the Shekinah is the manifest presence of God. Where we can sense him. Where we can see him. Where we can behold him. And hear his voice. And experience the wind blowing on us. That's why I love when you skip over a few more chapters to Exodus 29. God says, then I will dwell, I will shikan among the Israelites. I will be their God and they will know me. Yada. (laughs) Again, there must be a mishkan, a garden for us to walk with him. And this is why God took them out of Egypt. It's not just so they could be taken out, but so that they could be taken into God, so that God would dwell with them, so that they could know him, they could walk with him. And so these 15 chapters in Exodus are a very big deal. This making of the Mishkan is a very big deal. Now I got a picture of it because I want us to see it. They knew exactly what they were to build. And maybe someone can hit the lights back there. I don't have time to go through every detail of this thing. But every detail of this Mishkan speaks to God. Who he is and how we are to relate to him. But I want you to know this. Is that this is the Garden of Eden all over again. For instance, like the Garden of Eden. The entrance faces east. Because God always comes from the east. The outer court, which is what you see there with the white fence around it. That's the place where the priests perform their sacrifices. No one can get into God unless they have the ticket. And the ticket into God is the priest 
performing a sacrifice to make you fit for a holy God. The tent itself is called the sanctuary. There's a curtain then that divided that sanctuary into two rooms. It's the back room that's called the Holy of Holies. This is where God's Shekinah, his manifest presence, dwelt. So it's the garden. That would be considered the tree of life. Here's where the glory cloud rested. And I love what Leviticus 26 says. It says, I will put my dwelling place, my mishkan among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Now, if you listen closely there, what we expect that verse to say is this. Build me a mishkan, and I will live in that tent. But instead it says, you build me the mishkan, And I'll be among you. I'll walk among you. You'll see me. You'll know me. You'll walk with me. In fact, there's another PowerPoint that I I used. And again, not everything in this PowerPoint would be historically accurate. You know, I don't know if those are light bulbs in all those tents. But you get the picture, okay? Okay. This is what this would have been. See the tents all around the Mishkan? And right there in the middle is God's tent. Imagine being there. Imagine if you're a part of this story. That you and your family are, are, are living in one of those tents because I can hear my kids saying when, when we were really young, hey dad, come on, what's the, who, who lives in that big tent in the middle of the camp? And I'd look at them and I'd say, okay, that's, that, that's God's tent. That's where God lives. And Kate, that's why you don't have to be afraid of the dark. That's why you don't have to be afraid of snakes or scorpions out here. That's why you don't have to be afraid of Amalekites. That's why you don't have to be afraid of getting enough food to eat or enough water to drink. Because God's with us. He's here amongst us. And you can just leave that up for the rest of this sermon for for some of you that just want to continue to look at it. But see, what we need to see is that this idea of tabernacle is so much more than some little tent being built in some obscure desert. That something cosmic is taking place through the building of the tabernacle. Because in the beginning... When God makes the world, he places in the center of that world a garden. And in the center of that garden, a tree. Because this is how God will bring shalom to chaos. The tree of life, of course, represents God's presence. It's the power source. It's the life source. The garden is God's people in God's place, connected to that tree, bringing God's rule 
bringing God's shalom to chaos. And now God is doing that once again, again, through tabernacle. And see, this is why the tabernacle not only mirrors Eden, but the creation of the tabernacle also mirrors the creation of the world. And I wish I had more time to show you all of this, but I'll tell you this right now. When God created the universe, it took him six days. And with each day, he begins with what words? And God said. Now you come to the, to the building or the creation of tabernacle, and beginning in Exodus 25, verse 1, it says, And the Lord God said to Moses. And six times God's going to say those words. He's going to say them in Exodus 25, verse 1, Exodus 30, verse 11, 17, 22, 34, and then Exodus 31. Six times God's, God's going to say, or the text is going to say, and the Lord God said to Moses. You know what it's followed with? A seventh just like in creation, the seventh time, and God will say, observe my Sabbath. Okay, so now we come to our text. We got to get there, Exodus 40. On the first day of the first month, what day is that? New Year's Day, because it's on New Year's Day that God created the world. Now it's on New Year's Day that God is, through the creation of Mishkan, going to inaugurate new creation and recreation, because the making of Mishkan, tabernacle, is the process through which God is going to remake the world. That's what a big deal this is. See, God is once again, he's planting a garden, and through this garden, he's once again creating and recreating a people They're going to hear God's voice. They're going to walk with God in the cool of the day. They're going to be connected to the power source. And through this people, God's going to bring shalom to chaos. And I'm going to tell you something. That's the greatest thing going on in the world right now. Right there. You know what this is all predicated on? Tabernacle. Build it, and I will come. Build it. And I will come. Who built it? Did God build it? Did Moses build it? Well, if you only read Exodus 40, you might think Moses built it. But when you go back to Exodus 25, God says to Moses, say to the people, you build it. The people build it. And in building it, God said, I want you to go back to what you have and I want you to bring me the best of what you have so we can build this thing. And what I love is when you get to um, Exodus 35, they go back with such excitement to their tents. They find the best of what they have. They bring it back. They bring so much back that God has to command Moses, tell them to stop. I have way too much. Wouldn't you love God to say that to us?
And I'll tell you why they did all this is because they know if we build this, God will come. If we make space for God, God will fill it. In fact, here's one of the twists on the creation of the tabernacle. At the creation of the world, God says, I will make the space and you fill it. But now God is saying, you make the space and I'll fill it. And you know what? They did. And on New Year's Day, when the space of God was finally completed, look at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the Shekinah, the glory of the Lord, filled the tabernacle. Moses could not even enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In fact, Leviticus 9 describes this in even more detail. It says, The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came down from God's presence in the tent. Imagine that. Fire just coming down from that, from, from his presence in the tent. Then it said it came out of the tent and consumed the altar there in the courtyard. And God's people saw it. And it says, and they shouted for joy. Yes! And then they f- fell on their faces. I want to know something. When's the last time you had such an experience of the presence of God? And you're just like, yes! Yes! Like you're at a basketball game! Yes! And when's the last time the manifest, of, manifest presence of God was just so powerful and real that, that all you could do is just fall face down. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Why doesn't God do this stuff again? <laughs> well, let me first of all tell you what all of this is pointing to because it's, it, it's pointing to an even, even greater mishkan, to a greater manifestation of God's presence. That's why John's gospel says, the living word became flesh and shikan dwelt literally in the Greek, which is if it was translated in Hebrew, it would be shikan. But because he's writing in, in, in the Greek, he takes a specific Greek word that literally means to pitch your tent God pitched his tent in Christ. And you know what John says? And we beheld him. We touched him. We saw him. We heard him. We saw his glory. Shekinah. You know what, even though a lot of people seem to have missed it, when you read the Gospels, there are many 
who didn't because they shouted for joy and they fell at his feet. Is that you? Do you have so much joy in you right now that all you want to do is shout? Are you at his feet? See, here's the question for us on New Year's Day. Will we build him a mishkan? Will we make space for God? Because we make space for a lot of things. We make space for ourselves. We make space for our hobbies. We make space for our families. We even make space for our pets. We make space for our sports. We make space for our school, our friends, our retirement, our vacations, our leisure, our pleasure. Will we, in 2012, make space for God? Because to me, that's the question. And will we bring him our best? Our best gold, our best silver, our our best in terms of our time, our best in terms of our talent, our best of whatever we are or whoever we are. Will we bring him our best? I'll tell you what's at stake here. Eden is at stake. Eden. You want to experience Eden right now in your life and in your heart? I don't care how chaotic it is in your world right now. You can have Eden now. And not only is Eden at stake where you can walk with God and know his voice and see his face. But Eden is at stake for our world. Well, we bring Eden to our world. See, because the New Testament pushes this idea of Mishkan even further. Because when Jesus left the world as the Mishkan, as the temple, the tabernacle, the temple, the dwelling of God. When he left, he said, all right, now you're the Mishkan. You followers of Jesus are to be the space where the glory of God manifests itself. That's why 1 Corinthians, Paul says, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And what amazes me about all of this is irrespective of whether you and I have passion right now to make space for God, God has intense passion to be in our space. He wants us. Have you made that space? In your heart? In your life? In your marriage? 
in your family? Have we made space for God here? I think one of the most depressing texts in the whole Bible is in Revelation 3, where Jesus writes this letter to the church of Laodicea. And he says, to a church, I stand at the door and I knock. In other words, to a church, I'm on the outside. Would you let me in? Would you make space for me? See, there are churches and Christians who haven't made space for God. Maybe that's you. He's knocking. You let me in? Because I want to come in. I want to dine with you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. Maybe this morning, that's what you do. Maybe that's what we commit ourselves to this morning as a church. 2012 is going to be a year where we are done making space for all the stuff in our life. And we are committed to making space, huge space for God to come if you build it. I'll come. And maybe today you want to get baptized as, as a way to say, God, you're right. That Revelation 3 text is me. My whole life I have had you on the outside. And today I'm inviting you in. And I want to do that by putting a stake in the ground and being baptized. Let's pray. God, I just pray that we'd be a people who would build Mishkan. A people who would make space, all kinds of space.